travelling light. A little bit like the Royal Wedding last night. Just a pretty minimal affair, wasn't it? Hey, pretty low key. Do you like that? Yeah. I think some of you actually would normally be at the nine o'clock service, but <laughs> you stayed up a bit late. Yeah. Well, today we're um, kicking on into chapter two of James in our series called Travelling Light. And uh, this week we're talking about favoritism and the challenge that we have individually and corporately in this area of preferring one person or one group of people over the other. Last week we talked about this topic called planted, talking about how the Word of God is planted in us and how we are called to be a prototype and a new people, a new humanity, and as much as Christ dwelling in us changes us from the inside out. And therefore James is looking for that change to occur. And the first thing that he says to us about change is that it should affect your relationships with other people. And so therefore he challenges us and as he has for 2,000 years, challenges the church about favoritism. So let's look at James chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. A very simple yet very bold statement, one that you might think is very obvious, but the challenge that we have is that we get familiar with what we prefer, and we go to the familiar and the tried and the true out of a sense of safety, out of a sense of familiarity, which just brings us back to that same group of people, and we ignore the rest. Now, within New Zealand, fairness is a, uh, is a Kiwi value. We like to think of ourselves as an egalitarian community, and as much as we arrive here at some point, either through your ancestors or yourself, you've arrived here and you've seen New Zealand as a land of opportunity. Now, you might have arrived here on some of the, uh, the great walkers, you know, the Te Arawa, Kurahopo, Mata'atua, Takitimu, or others, and uh, your ancestors saw this land as a land of opportunity. Or you might have been like mine, there was some big wind in the sails, and 150 years ago arrived from the other part of the world looking for opportunity, looking for more fairness. Or you might have come in on a, a Dreamliner or a Boeing 747 or a DC-10 or whatever it might have been, in the day, with the same goal in mind, looking for a fresh start, looking for fresh opportunity. And the church should be, ideally, a place of new beginnings and fresh opportunity for every person, regardless of race, regardless of age, regardless of gender, regardless of education, socio and economic status. Yet James has already picked up that there seems to be a problem in the life of this church community that he's talking to. And he's talking not just to one church community here, he's talking to a number of them. And so therefore, for him, as a leader in the church, he's addressing something that he sees as being critical because it could corrupt the church and make it just like a normal club that there might have been in its day. So the question that James is asking us when we talk about uh, fairness or when we talk about favoritism is that we have to be mindful of our blind spots. Okay, blind spots, when we see in the context of a car here, are things that we all have. There are blind spots, and here's this education picture here telling you when you drive a car exactly what it is you can and can't see. And so we have to be aware that there are blind spots when we're driving a car. That makes sense? Uh, usually you turn your head and look, the other, look around the corner a little bit to try and pick up on what's there or what's not there. 
And uh, just uh, on Thursday, actually, I was down at the Tapuna service station getting some petrol, and I noticed that a digger down there on the other side of the fence had this sign written on it. And I haven't seen this before. It's a big, it's a big sticker, actually. So I suspect we'll see more of those on diggers in the future. But it says here, telling us that the operator has a blind spot. A blind spot, so you should keep 50 metres away. But not only do we know that, but the operator, every time he gets or she gets into this digger, is being told that you have a blind spot. Now, for us as Christians, we've got to be really, really uh, committed to knowing what these blind spots are. Particularly when James tells us that we can suffer from favoritism even if we're not even aware of it. It's those subconscious, unconscious relationships that we make when we buy into what is familiar. And we're a little bit nervous, a little bit scared maybe of the unfamiliar in as much as we would avoid what has been an, uh, sort of a, a, a track less traveled, if you like, towards people who might be older or younger or from a different ethnic uh, base. And, and so find, we find that these places are, are more uncomfortable for us. And so we go to the tried and true. And we usually like people who are like us. That's just the normal pattern of things. But what, what James is saying to us here is that when we look at the church in particular and we see people of difference, we can't show favoritism because right here is an unseen opportunity. An unseen opportunity to help people who are marginalized, those who are on the fringe of society, those who are less, um, <clears throat> less economically able. And so James is saying to this church, See the unseen. Check out your blind spots because there you may well find God is doing something very, very special. Okay, the blind spots that you have are the places where the ministries might exist. And we heard from the Andertons this morning who've spent the last four years up in West Bengal, up in northwest India, and they went out to intentionally find the blind spots that their society had turned away from. Their society in India didn't want to know that young women are trafficked. So they make up great stories about how they're going off to work in domestic service or work in a factory somewhere in a bigger city. But the reason why the Andertons were there is because that blind spot was no longer blind to them and the organization that they went with. And so therefore they're doing something about it, intentionally exposing that blind spot and making changes. So what was an unseen opportunity has now become a seen opportunity and uh, people are being set free as a result of it. So, James says here, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show, show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? This, this discriminating amongst yourselves is quite an indictment against this community, isn't it? Because by virtue of saying yourselves, he's calling them a group of believers who are already committed at some level to Christ. They are together as the church. And so here is James saying, look, you've got this discrimination going on here which shouldn't exist. Because why? Because you were all bought with the same price, for the same price. You were all bought with the blood of Christ. Every one of you has been given a free gift of grace, so therefore, why do we have this superiority kick going on in the life of a church? You're all one in Christ. 
The foot of the cross is level playing ground. It doesn't matter whether you're the judge or the jury or the, or the criminal. It doesn't make any difference. When you come in to know Christ, you are one in Christ because of what Jesus has done for us. And so he's saying, you have discriminated amongst yourselves. And in doing so, your witness, your shared witness of what the church should be is diminishing right in front of your very eyes. Uh, most of us would have heard of Mahatma Gandhi. He's deemed to be the father of modern India, helped India transition in the 50s out of uh, the British rule, and uh, in doing so became a great leader as a pacifist in India. But he had a lot of his education as a lawyer in London. And when he was in London, he decided he would go and check out a church. Now, as a Hindu, he was used to what they call the caste system, where there are layers of people who are preferred over another layer of people. So you've got the, you know, the, sort of the, the street sweepers and the toilet cleaners right down the bottom, and you've got a, a graduated system there of, of uh, people who are deemed to have been born into that place, and they can never remove themselves from that caste. So Mahatma Gandhi goes into a church in London, and as he goes in, the people who are uh, acting as ushers, they look at him and they say to him, firstly, uh, you shouldn't be here. You should be fellowshipping with your own people somewhere. And when he said, no, look, I'd like to stay, they put him right at the back of the church. Right? And so for this young man, this young Hindu, he concluded that uh, Hinduism has its own caste system. Clearly there's a caste system here in this church, so why would I look for anything different to what I already know? So there was a man who went on to change the world. But he was subject to prejudice. And history always asks these questions, what if? What would happen to Mahatma Gandhi's story if he had actually been embraced and accepted as a, and became a follower of Christ? But, of course, the church showed favoritism, and that's where his Christian story began and ended. So these stories that we hear like this come back to Scripture because they tell us that if we act differently towards different people and we embrace people in our blind spots, then we won't have stories like Mahatma Gandhi's in the future. So, James is saying, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves you know, and become judges with evil thoughts? Well, that seems like a real, real harsh thing to say, to say that because I have these blind spots, I actually have evil thoughts. Well, the simple truth is that we can have sins of commission, things that we do, and we can have sins of omission, things that we don't do. Okay? So, more often than not, we let ourselves off the hook, don't we? I didn't know that, we say. And so, therefore, we consistently carry on in behaviors or attitudes that act in prejudicial ways or show favoritism to one group over another. And so, just because we've got a blind spot and just because we don't know what we don't know is no excuse. Because James is telling us that we need to look with more depth at our community and ask what it is that we're contributing to or not contributing to. And it's really quite simple, but also very challenging. All we have to do is look at our circle of friends, people who we relate to easily, 
and we look at them and say, if they're all the same as you, then you've probably got blind spots that haven't been explored, opportunities that need to be explored, because there are people in your life that haven't turned up yet. People that God wants you to connect with, God wants you to relate to, and to embrace and feel welcome. And every one of us has these blind spots. So uh, if you're feeling a little bit guilty, good, you're probably all feeling the same way. I know I certainly do. Because it's so easy to buy into the familiar, isn't it? Do you find that? Yeah, of course it is. It's, it's a human trait. Uh, but the problem that we have is that we can take this posture of superiority. And uh, over the years when I've been around the world and traveled and spoken to different people groups that I've met, I've had a couple of times occasion where people have spoken to me about European culture, which of course, that's my background, European culture. And they say the one thing about Europeans is that they are arrogant. They always feel that there's a, a place for them at the table. They always feel that the door should be open to them. That they are right, that they are superior. And they often dominate in places where other cultures would be a little bit more uh, relaxed. One of the things I love about um, Māori culture in New Zealand here, and um, currently doing my Toreo course, but uh, man, that's hard work, um, is the way in which people meet together. I can remember having a, a conversation with some of the Komatua in this area one time about a project that we were engaged with together, and we all came into the room, and the first thing we wanted to do as Europeans was start talking about the project. Hey guys, welcome, glad we get together, what do we need to do? And one of the co-martyrs said, um, just hold on a little bit, Craig. Um, we don't know you yet. Like, well, I'm Craig. What else do you need to know? And maybe half an hour of just sharing who we are, where we come from, who we're related to, who our children are, and listen to each other's stories. Well, after that has been established, uh, we move forward as friends, not just people who are trying to sort of allocate or delegate jobs to one another to get a project done. And that's a simple little example of how Europeans just simply rock into a place and just say, let's get on with the agenda. But uh, for Māori, they're saying to us, look, there's a far greater value here. It's who you are. And, uh, and that's a little example of that. So James is saying to us uh, that we have to watch out for favoritism. And then he says this, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has, God, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you, are dis, you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? So James is not only talking to the community, he's talking here about the wider community as well. He's saying, look, you've got this group here of believers, but because of curiosity and because of what God is doing here, other people are joining you. And he's saying, look, if you've got a poor person who comes in and you've got a wealthy person who comes in, so you've got to treat them the same. And he actually identifies some of the behaviors of the, of the rich. And in this case, James says, aren't these the people who are dragging you off to court? Now, you might think, well, okay, they've got a problem, they have to sort it out in court. 
but this was the time in history where there was no such thing as legal aid. So if I was really rich, and there was usually a, a big differentiation between rich and poor, and I wanted to um, have my way with somebody else, I would take them to court. And they would very quickly exhaust their resources financially. And so eventually, through a court process, you could legally extract whatever you want out of somebody with some sort of charge. And this is what James is talking about here. He's saying, look, these people who are coming into your church, th these people in the past have, have blasphemed Christ, they've taken you to court, and you, you're treating them like they're royalty. And, and you've got a good reason to actually be a little bit more suspicious of these people. You remember, you know, we're allowed to be born again, but not born yesterday, James is saying. Look, don't be treated like a fool. Don't be treated like a fool. And at the same time, he's saying, look, but you, you can't show favoritism. So it's not about pulling one person down. It's about lifting others up, isn't it? If you're in a position to give the front seat to the poor guy and the one next to him for the rich guy, that usually sorts out who's going to stay. Yeah? So for James, he's really, really pushing this goal that we should be an egalitarian community. We should have a level playing field upon which we should build our relationships and allow each other to prosper. None of this conscious or unconscious prejudice that can so easily exist amongst us. Um, just going to, running out of time here. James says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. Sorry, love your neighbor as yourself and you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who has said, for he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. What James is actually saying here is that if you break one portion of the law, you've broken the law. Simple as that, right? And um, this isn't about an issue about what's, what's worse, murder or adultery. What he is actually saying is here is that when you break the law, you're a lawbreaker. And he picks up on what Jesus actually said about this lawbreaking is that this is actually an issue of the heart, not an action from your hands. So remember what uh, Jesus said on the Sermon of the Mount. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Here's Jesus saying, um, you've got to be really aware of your own thought life because that's where community begins and that's where your soul is either healed or inflamed. Okay? So it's your thought life. So when you come into the community, James is saying, look, you can't even just look at somebody who's dressed in rags and go to yourself in your head, I don't want to sit beside them because they smell and they're horrible people. You can't say that. You've actually got to go to God and say, God, I need to change my attitude. I need to work on this. This is my subconscious view of the world. And I have to be able to get a better, better way of looking at my brothers and sisters here. This isn't, this isn't easy. 
but this is the way which God calls us to actually be more like Christ. And it starts from the inside out. It doesn't start from the outside in. Because we can all keep up appearances. But Jesus said we're just like whitewashed sepulchres when we do that, whitewashed tombs. You know, nice and white on the outside, but rotten bones on the inside. And it's the rotten bones that God is trying to address in every situation in our lives. And when it comes to being in community, those are the biggest challenges of all that we face. Because by virtue of being believers together, we're pushed into a community which is going to be broader and wider, with more variety than any community you'll ever find. Yeah? Like, I still understand that there are people in this congregation who support the Springboks. I've heard rumors, and I will find them. Well, actually, they need a lot of love, don't they? That was a rhetorical question. I hadn't even much thought about the answer, actually, Susan. Um, yeah, well, if they come within 15 points of the All Blacks, well, we'll, we'll see what we think. But um, I'll carry on. <laughs> Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And this is James driving this point home. When we see somebody who's in a bad way, impoverished, um, and with with poverty comes bad health, uh, literally people smell. I just got back from being in Fjordland for a Um, a couple of weeks hunting down there and there's a guy called Bruce who's a hermit who lives under a rock (laughs) and we we visit Bruce every time we're down there in fact this time we gave him a ride out in the helicopter when we had a spare seat hadn't had a haircut for about 12 months and the interesting about Bruce is that um, when we first meet him he smells after about a week we can't smell him at all (laughs) two weeks in the bush and we're trying to get away from ourselves so all that to say that sometimes, uh, you know, when you meet people who are down and out, they are less than desirable. But our goal should be mercy, not judgment. How did this person end up in this space? You know, give them the grace to hear their story. Give them the grace to show them that you care. Because without mercy, we're no better off as a community than any other group. In fact, there'd probably be others who do it better than us. So James is wanting to shape this community into an alternative group. Remember what we looked at last week and we said that we have been planted, we're organic, we are a prototype, we sort of, we're GM, we're God-modified. Yeah, you like that? GM, God-modified. What James is saying is that when you are modified, allow this to be an outstanding feature, an outstanding feature in your community that people from all these different walks of life, all these different backgrounds can be embraced and we can be a family that people go, wow, there's something about the church that is just so, so different. Well, I'm going to finish with a story. It comes from Scripture. 
Um, we're not going to finish with the final song today because we just had a little bit much on. But what I'd like to, you to do is just to close your eyes and I'm going to create a scene which you will recognize after a moment or two. But I think it captures this whole story of judgment over and mercy. Jesus and his disciples had had a very, very busy time in Jerusalem. And the disciples went to find somewhere to sleep. But Jesus went up into the hills above Jerusalem. And there he prayed. Long into the night. And the following morning as day broke, the buyers and the sellers were setting up around the temple in their usual pattern putting up tables, bringing animals alive and dead into the, the market, things for sale. There was noise and activity starting to, to build like it does six days a week. And Jesus came into this marketplace and he sat down and he started to talk to people. And then a crowd gathered around him and he, he started speaking once again about the kingdom of God. And what it means, what it means to be forgiven, what it means to know mercy, what it means to know grace, what it means to be a friend of God. And the crowd gathered and gathered and more people came as they saw the master was there. And then out of the corner of his eye, Jesus saw a commotion happening. A group of Pharisees who looked absolutely beautiful with their gold-rimmed, cloaks and their tassels and their hair done immaculately but in the midst of them they dragged a woman and they dragged that woman and they they threw her at the feet of Jesus and they said master this woman has been caught in the act of adultery the law of Moses says that we should kill her stone her to death what do you say Jesus and with that Jesus just crouched down, didn't say anything. The Pharisees got frustrated with him, and once again they yelled at him, they said, what shall we do with this woman? The law demands that we stone her to death. Jesus knew it was a trap in more ways than one. When someone commits adultery, even Jesus knew that you don't do that on your own. But he knew that if he said to stone her to death, then all that he'd been saying about the kingdom and it's being a new way forward would be put in that whole null and void category. So Jesus looked at these leaders, these men of God, and he said, those of you who have not sinned, why don't you cast the first stone? And then he knelt down and he started to write in the sand. And no one knows what he wrote that day. It's not recorded for us. But it must have been a signal to these religious leaders because the scripture says that one by one, they turned and walked away with the oldest ones leaving first. So perhaps in the sand, he wrote somebody's name and their sin. 
bringing them to a place of humility. Finally, all the Pharisees left. And Jesus stood up and he looked at this woman, broken, tear-stained eyes. And he took her by the hand and he lifted her up. And he looked her in the eye and he said, where are those whom condemn you? And she said, there's no one, sir. There's no one. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. But go now and leave your life of sin. Go now and leave your life of sin. God, we thank you that in this story we see mercy triumphing over judgment. And when we ourselves are tempted to judge somebody else, let us always be reminded that we have been just like that woman. We too deserve judgment, but we receive mercy. And as a church, as we embrace your values, your kingdom values, help us, Lord, to have those blind spots diminished on a daily basis, have those eroded away so that we can see the world that you see. Just to ensure, Lord, that our community is GM, God made. That it is a place where people are safe, challenged, but not threatened. And in doing so, Lord, we become your people. Just a small picture of what heaven on earth could be, if we're so bold as to say that. So Lord, may your grace be poured out upon us. And in this week as we, we go, may we be reminded when we see somebody who's struggling, that there I go but for the grace of God. Therefore, that person needs the grace of God. May we be a people who embrace, may we love, may we show kindness and acceptance. And in doing so, Lord, we are becoming your people. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, Look him in the eye and say, mercy triumphs over judgment. Okay. If anybody wants prayer, you can come to, come to the front. But uh, God bless you. Have a great week.